Thank you, Paul and Leslie. Good to see you all here today. And you too. All right. <laughs> Especially you, Paul, right? <laughs> Where is Larry? Where is he at? Which way did he go? I feel quite a bit better today. Thank you. Thank you for praying, too. <clears throat> um, your Bible should fall open to Daniel, and we're in chapter 10 today. Daniel chapter 10, as we come to, uh, actually chapters 10, 11, and 12 are, re- are completely uh, in regards to the final vision, the final revelation that uh, Daniel is given. And chapter 10 is kind of the precursor, if you will, for the last two chapters, particularly chapter 11, which is the meat of the prophecy. But we'll read chapter 10 of Daniel, beginning in verse 1. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar, and the thing was true. But the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing, and hath understa- had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh or wine into my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hedekel, then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Euphaz, his body, was also, his body also was like burl, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves." Therefore I was left alone, and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me. For my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand, and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me, one in twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spake, and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for me, straightway there remaineth no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. Then then there came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me. And said, O man greatly beloved, 
fear not. Peace be unto thee, be strong, yes, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened, and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Greece shall come. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth, and there is none that holdeth with me in these things but Michael, your prince. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let us just pause in prayer before we begin our study. Father God, again, we thank you for the word. We thank you for your servant, Daniel. As we see incredible, uh, a man of incredible faith, a man of incredible prayer, a man that reached out to you before anyone else when his heart was troubled. When there was concern, he turned to you first. Father, we look at this chapter today, and it, it really is quite amazing. Some of the things that would be of, for Daniel particularly, and even as us as we've read this passage numerous times, to see how big, Father, the, the entire creation is. And as he's, you've pulled a veil back for us to see the invisible world or just a glimpse of it. Father, it makes you more awesome. It makes you more sovereign. The more we see and the more we know, the more we see how great you are. We would ask that for these moments now before us, that this the opportunity for you to reach us even closer than ever before. We would ask that the Holy Spirit, who indwells those that have trusted Christ as Savior, would use the word, and may the Holy Spirit teach us today. Father, in our weaknesses, may your strength overcome. Father, take and use us, showing us life's journey one step at a time, and how great that you are. These things we'll ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as you read, I don't know, uh, I'm not going to ask the question, but for some, it may have been the first time you may have heard Daniel chapter 10. And uh, if it is, it would, quite honestly, what is going on? <laughs> and you know what? It was the first time that Daniel encountered Daniel chapter 10. And for him, you find him, well, this is a man of God, this is uh, certainly one that... I don't know that I would, no one else I know in Scripture would be any more prayerful. That It seems like every time there's a problem, he's on his knees. And he's on his knees if there isn't a problem. That's what I really like about Daniel, is the fact he's just a man of prayer, period. You see it just over and over and over again. And that's what made him so characteristically, I'm sorry, the characteristics of him become so enamored from our viewpoint is because he patterned his life and focused it completely and entirely upon God. So there's some things as we go along today that um, were, to Daniel, very uh, overcoming, over, overpowering. And they will be for us as well, not knowing ultimately the full scope of really what's all here. But we're going to take what's here, and we're going to ask that God would enlighten us in regards to that. Well, first we find that chapter 10 took place about two years after uh, chapter 9. If go back to chapter 9 for a moment in verse 1. It's the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. And 
literally so if uh, you've been with us. Uh, chapter 9, that took us about three weeks, seemed like three months probably for some of you to get through that chapter, but five, oops, this is not the one I want to use. Let's go with this one. Um, if I was going to ask you, uh, what year approximately do we feel that chapter 9, when Daniel was given that vision? That would be 538. That's about the best that we could think of anyway, as we have history unfold for us. And so, consequently, if we're two years later, and of course we go backwards in B.C., this is about 536 B.C. Now, let's, let's review for a moment, because it really helps us get into Daniel's mind of what is... Because re- it, it said very, very honestly, he has been fasting and praying for three weeks. Now, it doesn't... You, you can find that he didn't withhold food altogether... But he missed, we'll get into it in a moment, just, just stay there. But 21 days, to be very focused and to be in a sense of fasting and prayerfulness. Uh, I'm not going to ask for any of you to raise your hands, but it's a small group that probably does that, right? I mean, that's a serious, serious position that Daniel's involved in. What brought him to that? Well, let's go back, first of all, chapter 9. What caused Daniel to be in that frame of mind? What was he looking for? In chapter 9, which God ultimately answered as well on a different note. But what was Daniel talking? Why was Daniel on his knees in chapter 9? The 70 years was approaching. He was reading. He, again, I, that's one of the greatest things I can think of. If you, you need to go to the Word of God. And when you go to the Word of God, it should drive you to your knees. He was doing his Bible studies. He was doing his Bible studies. And when he comes across. And, and probably the thing is, you know what? You know, how, have you had some of those things just cross your mind? I got to see what the Bible says about that. I've been doing that a lot in the last year. What does the Bible say about that, right? And when you see what the Bible says about that, you pray. And that's exactly what Daniel did. And it find, in fact, that he was wondering, when was his captivity going to end? He knew it had to be close. And sure enough, he digs into the scroll of Jeremiah, and there it is, big as life, chapter 25 and chapter 29. For 70 years, they would be in captivity in the, under the Babylonians. And he's saying... Oh, my goodness, it's got to be close to the end. I don't know exactly, you know, and that's one of the things. He didn't know exactly which, because there was three different, I'm going to say, hostage takings. Uh, 605, somewhere in the 590s, and then ultimately would have ended in 586 B.C. So knowing exactly where that was at, in fact, that's some of the play of even what he's going to be praying about today. He did not know exactly when that 70 years would conclude, if you will. But he knew it was close. And he's praying literally the same thing. He's, I want to get... I want to be in God's will, and God's will is that in 70 years, they are going to go back to the homeland. And I say, do it, do it. And then because of that, unfolds is seven verses of probably the richest prophecy in all of Scripture. Verses 20 through 27. It's amazing the power-packed prophecy within those seven verses. So now, what's going on that he would be in this kind of a fervor two years later? And I, I'm using, you could use different words, but he's certainly in a sense of sorrow. Look, look at how he describes himself. I want you to see this. Um, he, in, verse, uh, in chapter 10, verse 1, uh, go to verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Now, some of you may have uh, weeks of days, three full weeks of days. And the reason that that's said honestly, is because in chapter 9, we were talking about weeks of years. Exactly. Daniel's on the 70-year thing, and it says 70 weeks, which the context would be of years. This actually is weeks of days. So three full weeks, 21 days. Watch verse 3, I ate no pleasant bread. Now, uh, for those of you, I don't think you can go to the bread store and 
find pleasant bread. I'd like to have a loaf of pleasant bread. That's not the idea. The sense of something that tasted good. Oh, that's how you diet, isn't it? If it tastes good, spit it out. <laughs> that's what works for me. That's why it's not working for me. <laughs> yeah, okay. At any rate, he's not eating things that, in other words, there, there's something that's very serious about this. He is eating only to survive, if you will. There's, and the other thing, oh, let's keep going. I want you to see this. No pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. Just, just staples, if you will, just sustenance, just barely getting through. Neither did I anoint myself at all till three full weeks were fulfilled. Now watch verse 4. In the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is actually Tigris, which would be 60 miles east of the Euphrates, 60 miles of where Daniel usually did business. Now, one of the things that's important for you to know, we have never said this before because this is the first time. If we would go back to chapter 1, verse 21, it gives us the full time frame of which Daniel was literally uh, involved at a very high level within the regimes or the kingdoms. He retired as president after the first year of the Medes and Persians. So he is in a retired state here. Okay? I don't know why he's at the Tigris. He's with some other folks. I don't know what they're doing. Uh, I have a suspicion, but I don't know this for sure. But I'm not even going to tell you what that might be yet because I still want you to see what is going on here. Do you see Daniel's, what would you call this? Mourning, sorrow. He's intensely involved in something as in his world. Would you not? I mean, you, you could actually, even though he wouldn't have announced it to anyone else, you could see something is seriously going on in Daniel's life. Uh, right? What is it? What is it? Now, even to give you the significance and the power, when it says the 24th day of the first month of Nisan, um, which would be Nisan, um, do you know some things about that month from the Jewish calendar? Most of you would say, uh, Passover. Yeah. It, most of you say, yeah, not really. But the first the Passover is actually in Nissan. OK, so now let's do our math. This is simple. It's not like the 70 weeks. That was a little complicated. But 24th day of Nissan. That's when this vision takes place, if you will. And that was really real because you can find it was real enough to where he could feel touches. Right. I really think that he was there. But let's say that as it was. So when did this begin? When did he start praying in this sense of, of seriousness? The third of Nissan. Now, if you were going to pass through and look at the calendar of the feasts, you would find that the Passover was on the 15th of the same month. That's a really big deal. The Passover is a really big deal. So what are we saying? That literally, he, he went all, just blew right through the Passover with the same type of seriousness that this is really bothering him, plus the Feast of Unleavened Bread and three days beyond. Now, those of you just catching you up if you're not a Jew, but I want you to see this is a really big deal in Daniel's life. What is going on? Well, let's go to Ezra for a moment because actually uh, there was an edict that went out and there were some things that took place. There was opportunities for those to return to Israel. So let's watch what happened. Ezra, can you find that little book? You're struggling, aren't you? Okay. Let me help you. That's on page uh, 736. Did that help? Oh, it didn't help as much as you thought. Okay. It's in the Old Testament. <laughs> if you can find First, Second Chronicles and just keep cruising to the right, and boom, there it is. Don't go too far. Otherwise, guess what? You run into Nehemiah. Uh, Ezra chapter 4. 
I want you to, I want to get a grip, uh, before we even start there, uh, let's, let's give you a, as he was praying in, in uh, chapter 9, literally, I think within that same time for that same year, uh, there was a decree that went out, you know what, any of you Jews that want to go back to Israel and rebuild the temple, you go ahead. And that's what Daniel was praying for. Go back, get, get this thing, let's, let's, let's go back and, and get done what we need to get done. But the temple is completely destroyed. It's completely wiped out. In fact, it took, are you ready? It took seven months to just clean the rubble off of the temple grounds. So you could start. <laughs> Have you ever, you guys like, in fact, I think of sometimes tornadoes or hurricanes or, 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 or a really bad fire. Some of the worst part of the rebuilding is the de-rubbling, the de Yatko, right? I mean, that's, think of that. Seven months, the people that went back, that's all they did was just clean stuff up. But there's something else that's going on here. When you're gone for that long, there's people that are there that really don't want you coming back. Let's get a scope. Let me just try to give you a grip of this. I'm, I'm reading, not even knowing where I'm going exactly, but let's go to Ezra chapter 4 if you're there. And they've actually started the foundation of the temple in chapter 3. Uh, so there's a beginning. After they'd cleared it off and they're beginning the foundation, that's why I'm starting right. But now watch, you can just see this happening. Now, have you, has this happened? Stop, don't read. Uh, have you noticed this in your own lives? You, you can tell we're not going to get very far today, just the way I'm going. You can't, you can't get a sense of it. Have you noticed this in your own lives? When, there, when, there's, when there's like a, a direction, it's almost like a victory. That's what I need to be doing now. Take note. Almost immediately, there will be opposition. <laughs> and you're all nodding your heads because that's the way it works, isn't it? It's the way it works. Uh, and you know where Satan's the most aggressive is where God's work is trying to be accomplished. Especially if it's very clear. And where God's people are gathered is where he is going to do the most possible damage that he can do. Because the rest of the world are his. So get ready. It was amazing even last week. I don't want to go down this trail too far, but uh, last week, this day, Sunday, was one of the most overpowering, overwhelming days that I can remember in a very long time. And I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to describe it for you, but literally, it was about 1230 or one o'clock and I didn't have very much yet, which is not good for you. Okay. <laughs> and it was, I actually looked at Lisa and said, I don't know if I can do this today. That does not happen very often. But it's a wonderful place to be because then I know I'm so weak that only God could make it happen. And that's the beauty of having God as our Savior. When you're so weak that only God could shine through, that's where he wants us. And I have no idea how last week went, but the point of the matter was we showed up, we did it for God. It was wonderful. And it was him. It was all about him, it right? And it was all about him, right? Exactly. Because of him. So, so I, I'm, kind of get, I'm getting a little bit off track, but it's the same thing in almost all of your lives as well. When, particularly thinking of one that just got saved. I tell them, get ready. <laughs> get ready. Because it's coming. Now, now, I want to be, this is also very, very important. Satan cannot take what God has given you. And that I'm speaking of eternal life. 
Thank God for that. Yeah. See, that's grace. Satan cannot take grace that has been received in faith. You need to say that to yourself several times because our Romans chapter 8 verse 1. I actually told my mom. My mom called me yesterday. And physically, I think she's doing fine. Okay? Mentally, she's struggling. Because there's a couple things. Mom wants to be in her own room. And if she's listening to this, I hope she forgives me for saying this. Because she will, though. Because I'm her son, right? Okay, that's how it works. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Mom. Okay, anyway. And then secondarily was the fact that she hasn't had opportunity to have her own phone. <laughs> and I've worked hard to get it. it just, it's just not going to work. So we're, I've said, just count the days. But I said, here's what she got. Here's number one. I said, let's just get your Bible and start reading and finding promises. I said, you go to Romans. I gave her a bunch of stuff to look up. I said, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. That's one for me. I mean, I, I want to know that one. There is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. That's fantastic. Write it on the wall, right in your forehead. You look in the mirror, just boom, it's right there. Because you know God loves you enough to never condemn you if you're in Christ Jesus. Now, you don't deserve it. That's what's really cool. It doesn't matter whether you deserve it. It's what God said. And he does what he says. There's not a lot of hallelujahs here today, but that's okay, right? All right. Okay, so I got off track, but, but this is act, you can see this coming a million miles off. For 70 years, Israel's been in captivity. An edict or a decree comes from the king, and he says, all of you that want to go back to rebuild the temple. Now, that's key. I said that that way because this is not what began the 70 weeks in Daniel chapter 9. That was what? That edict was to go back and to rebuild the city and the walls. But originally, they went back to build the temple. So what's going on? All of a sudden, there's going to be a whole lot of opposition. We're going to read about. But here's the other thing. This is the scary part. You know what happens when you have a people that has been away from home, away from their temple, away from their, quote, God. And, I, and, and don't, I'm just putting quotes around it right now. That doesn't mean God couldn't be found. But most of them weren't like Daniel, seeking God when they were away from there. I, I pray for America today. This is, again, I don't know why it's popped in my head, so I have to say it. I'm very concerned about America right now because of all of the churches that are not holding services, that people are going to get used to not going to the services to where we get fed. And there's energy from the Holy Spirit that's gathered in individuals that feeds us for the week. That's very, very important. And I, I have this same sense. Now, think of that for 70 years. That's what's happened. And you know what's happened? Of all of those people now that, again, you know, there's families are growing. It doesn't stop growing, right? Only 42,000 people returned to the land of Israel and have full freedom to return. Why? They become complacent. They become very involved in the society in which they found themselves living. They actually were doing well economically. They really didn't want to go home. I think of that. Do you think that could happen in America? Yes. It is. It is. It's what happened to America when we were founded on principles of God. Because God literally made us a nation. Because we trusted him. And here we are today. I don't know what part of the citizenry really doesn't even believe there's a God now. Do you see where I'm going? So it's almost, this was 536 B.C. We could say it's 2021 
and it would be very relevant. That's why Daniel is so cool for us today. What do we do about this? We should be doing exactly what Daniel, he hit his knees. But let, I want to get you a flavor of what's going on. Ezra chapter 4, I promise I will start, I will start reading and stop, stop talking, jabbering. Ezra chapter 4 verse 1 says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel. Now I didn't introduce you to him. Zerubbabel would have been that leader that would have taken those people from, I'm going to say, from the Babylonian Empire. He was a leader that took them back home. Now, do you know what line he was from? He was the line of King of, of, of uh, David. He came from the, the, the line of, of, of David. Seems appropriate. They came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said, unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. And we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Asarhaddon, king of Asher, which brought us up hither. But Zerubbabel and Joshua, now Joshua would have been the high priest. Again, I'm filling these blanks in for you. And the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, You have nothing to do with us to build a house to our God, but we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus the king of Persia hath commanded us. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Artaxerxes, wrote Bishlam and that guy and the next guy and the rest of their companions on Artaxerxes, king of Persia. That's how you do that. I was just letting you know. And the writing of the letter was written into the Syrian tongue and interpreted in the Syrian tongue. Rehum, the chancellor in Shimshai, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes, the king in this sort. Then wrote Rehum, the, cha the chancellor in Shimshai, the scribe, and the rest of their companions in the Danonites and the Ashverts and all of those guys. And uh, I didn't read this beforehand, you can tell, or I'd been better. And the rest of the nations, verse 10, the great and noble Ashnapper brought over and set the cities of Samaria and the rest that are on this side of the river. And at such a time, this is the copy of the litter they sent unto him, even unto Artaxerxes the king. Thy servants, the men on this side, the river, and at such, be it known unto the king that the Jews, which came up from thee to us, are come unto Jerusalem, building the rebellious and the bad city, and have set up the walls thereof, and have joined the foundations." Be it known now and unto the king that if this city be builded and the walls set up again, then will they not pay toll, tribute, and custom. And so shalt thou, also, shalt thou in damage the revenue of the kings. Do you get the idea? And on and on and it goes. Sorry for the pronunciations I didn't even attempt. They seemed overwhelming right there in, in print. So, but, but, the, but the point is what I wanted you to get. Do you know what? It's not going well. Daniel's gotten that report. Not only did nobody go, the ones that went are being troubled. That sounds like a God project, doesn't it? It is, doesn't it? It's just the way it is. And Daniel, that's what's driven him to this point. Now, why is he at the Tigris? I don't have any idea, but knowing that he's retired from the presidency, and he's with some other, another, a group of people, we don't know how many, we don't know exactly what the thing is, I'm wondering if he isn't actually trying to stir up the people that need to get stirred up to go back and help. That would be Daniel. He's in his upper 80s. Why should Daniel go, right? 
not his deal. He thinks he's probably better off to shift those that way. Now, I don't have anything to back that up other than if you're going to get on your hands and knees and fast and pray for 21 days about this issue, I have a feeling that he probably was trying to incite something within this spirit of those that didn't really see it necessary to go back to the homeland. That's the Daniel I would see. Now you have a grip of what's caused chapter 10 to take place. Are you right there with him? Do you see what's going on now? How about us as Americans right now? Are we being driven to our knees? Now, I'm not trying to put any guilt on it. I'm, I'm telling you what, this is such dire times right now. Our distance from God as a nation has never been this low, this far away. Now, if we're a Daniel, <laughs> we need to get serious about prayer. We need to get serious about getting with God. God, where do you want me to be in all of this? That's, that would, okay, let me ask it a different way. What if Daniel was our contemporary today? What would he be doing? You know what he'd be doing. (laughs) He'd be diving into God, wouldn't he? Now, I want to say this just as a quick, uh, as a side point. It's not the fasting that brought God sending an angel. I want to be very careful to say that. It's not about the things that we do in part of praying. That's a manifestation of how serious Daniel was. In fact, if somebody announces that they're going to be fasting, we've lost it. Because that's a plan. This is 21 days that, that Daniel is involved in praying, and the fact of the rest of it didn't even come to mind. How do you blow through Passover? Do you think he planned it on the third day? I'm sorry, yeah, the third day of... I don't think so. Oh, watch this. I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to go ahead and announce to everyone that I'm going to fast and pray right through Passover and right through the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. No, I don't think that's it at all. Do you see him announcing this to anyone else beforehand? No, after the fact. Now, he's stating for us what's happened, verse 1. He's telling us exactly the conditions of which it was. This is a man that is absolutely humbly focused And giving his heart, that's a key word, his heart completely to God for 21 days. Wow. Wow. And that's what was said to him from the first day that you set your heart. That's right. From the first day you said. First day you set your heart. Yeah. Now, here's here's the other part of this. I believe that he prayed out loud. And you say, where did you get that? I'll tell you where my mind is going. I don't want to give Satan any more power than he has. And he has a lot of power. If you read this chapter and you come away and you say Satan and his demons don't have much power, you have totally missed warfare that is described for us here. And ultimately then, you know, your your Bible should just flop open. Wasn't it interesting? I'd forgotten about this chapter. It was several weeks ago. I said, really, where we're at right now in America and right now where we're in Daniel you should just flop open to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be reading it to the end of this, of this message today. That that really what Paul is basing it on, I'm convinced, is actually off of these writings from Daniel. This is serious stuff. But when he said something out loud, and I do think Satan paid attention to Daniel. I don't think he's, I've never been attacked personally by Satan. I'm a small critter. I would have to believe that presidents and kings of various nations, literally are singled out by Satan. 
Judas Iscariot was singled out by Satan because of those 12 that surrounded Jesus Christ, the Messiah, for this world and to literally conquer death and sin. He himself, it says that in the scriptures, I can say that with confidence. He engaged personally with Judas Iscariot to try to take Jesus out. And the really cool part is Satan has no idea that God wins no matter what. Because in his betrayal, triumph came. But nonetheless, what I'm trying to get at is the sense Satan is very, very powerful and he's very, very organized. We're going to get into this as we go along this line. But when, Dave, I went, when Daniel said something out loud, Satan's smart. Here comes the messenger. Satan cannot know your thoughts. He knows a lot about you. That's why when you're, in a, when you're in a mood, when you're in a frame, shall we say, aha, I see where he's going. I see where she's going. I see what she's thinking. But he doesn't, this is very important. He cannot know your thoughts. If he could, then he would be God. God and God alone can know your thoughts. You see the significance of that? I want to make sure that you understand. There is no opposite to God. <laughs> there isn't. Thankfully, but as Daniel would have prayed out loud, Satan would have been very interested, very against that, because now we're asking, as usual, Daniel is asking for God's plan to be revealed and to be enacted. Hence, you pull it. Now, this messenger came and pulled a veil back to a battle in the heavenlies, which we don't see. Is that going on today? I think at an accelerated level. Is there a prince of the United States, such as it said the prince of Persia? You had better believe it. You had better believe it. There's a demon that has a line and ranks of underlings for each and every nation to try to destroy everything that God is up to. Make no mistake about that. That's what this chapter is about. What can we do about it? Pray. Daniel did exactly what is the most powerful thing that God has ever given us. Pray. And you know what? God answered right away. Now, how many of us would have given up at day seven? <laughs> I appreciate your honesty. I mean, really, right? Is it, oh, I never hear from God. It's just like, a, just like a brass ceiling. Now, here's Daniel. He's had God answer pretty quickly. In fact, if you were with us in chapter 9, he didn't even finish praying. And here comes the dude, right? That must have been fun, right? Oh, I just, and, and he's really, uh, of course, now I don't want to take any, I'm not trying to make this, don't make this anything more than it is, but he's praying seriously, and all of a sudden, boom, there's, there's the answer to the prayer. How many of those do you get? You're smiling, not as many as you'd like, right? That's what I'm interpreting. But here we have Daniel, the same guy, one chapter later, two years later, praying, I mean, massively engrossed and focused on this problem that we've just described. And for 21 days, no answer. I want, you, I want you to just get that for a bit. And I'm glad that the angel that came told us why. You look at Joe, you studied Job's life. You know, they have the, 
If you, you have you ever had an insurance policy or something that says the acts of God? Satan's, I'm sorry, Job's policy should have said, unless an act of Satan, right? Because here comes the wind, and here comes this and that and this and that, and it's all. Who did that? Satan did. Now, God allowed it. Make no mistake. God never allowed anything. He never allowed him to take his life. And you know, it's interesting. Everything that God said would happen, happened. What does Satan allowed to do? He wants to destroy everything that has to do with God's plan going forward. He, he, does, he, he expends all energy possible to be able to do that. Here's a perfect example. He doesn't want Daniel to know the future. He doesn't want you to be unfearful. Here's Dan. I'm saying, let's keep going. We're, I thought we were going to get through this today. Maybe not. Maybe not. Where were we at? Okay, I give you a taste in Ezra. You can go back there next. Uh, later on, let's go back to Daniel chapter 10 and let's move on. Now he's by the river Tigris, the Tigris river, which is again, 60 miles East and verse five, let's dive right in there. We're not, we're seeing this, this morning, if you will, toward heaven. And then we're going to actually see heaven itself, if you will, or a manifestation verse five. And then I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold, a certain man clothed in linen whose loins were girded with fine gold of Euphaz. His body also was like burl, and his face is the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire. His arms and his feet like in color as polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. Whew. That's amazing. It's almost like that must have appeared for a while for him to take note of all of that, right? Because sometimes, do you have those dreams where you, you there, there's like a, it, it makes an impression, but if I was going to give you that much detail... I'm not that good at that, especially when I wake up. I got to think about that because I'll forget it, right? Do you guys forget your dreams? I don't, <laughs> don't remember anything. That sounds like me, right? But here's, and Dan, this is laid out so intensely, so viviting, vivid, so vivid, There, that's the right word, that he's unfolding how this person shows up. Now, let's, for a moment, let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, and let's take a look. Revelation chapter 1. And let's look at verse 12. Now, who is who's the revelation? Who was the one that wrote, penned these words? It was... Yeah, John, but Jesus would have been the giver, if you will. But yeah, John is the one that penned it. It's uh, the revelation according to John. Now, in verse 12, well, actually, let's just start. I wonder if I should do it that way. Let's just start in verse 9. I think that'll help us. Verse 9, chapter 1 of Revelation. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos. For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. How did he get there, by the way? How did he get on the island? Was it a, was it a, a kind of like a trip that he won? Uh, what was that? Exile. How did he, what did he do to get that, win that award? <laughs> that, is the, that, that truly is what is said, is that he was... Now, how did, how did John... What did he make somebody mad? Yeah, yes, he did. Yes, he did. And how did he make them mad? He preached Jesus. And he wouldn't recant it. If he would have, he wouldn't have had to be at... 
I don't even know what that would. I, I, and that's that's that that would be supernatural miracle kind of stuff. But they couldn't kill him. They tried to dip him in a hot vat of oil. How are you doing? That's not even doesn't even sound good, does it? But they couldn't get it done. So he said, away with you. That's literally what this clown did. Is he just said away with you, and he puts him on this isolated, <coughs> vacant, uninhabited island called Patmos. Little did he know, God can do things with a person on an uninhabited island. He can write books like the Revelation, of which we're reading 2,000 years later. <laughs> Silly king. <laughs> I'll show you, right? So that's why he's there, and he's, and he's really, literally waiting, doing what... Now, how would you... Okay, just a second. What if that was you? And you just got dropped off. Oh, by the way... There's maybe not much food. Um, this is uninhabited. There's no store. There's no gas. Well, you wouldn't need gas. We have no vehicle. Um, how are you doing so far? How are you doing with that? No phones. No, probably no, you, yeah, shelter. How are you doing? Did, did you see what John just wrote? It's like he's happy to be there. <laughs> and then you'd say, well... The previous experience, this looks like a good thing. Let's keep going. Here we go. Where did I leave you? Verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Ah, does that work? What do you think he's doing right now? He's praying. John's a Daniel. (laughs) Don't you like it? And heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and am what thou seest, write in a book. Send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to the foot, and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they turned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. What does that sound like? Outside of the hair, it's the same picture that Daniel saw. So literally, this this image, this First part of what Daniel sees at the end of 21 days, I believe, given this post. Now, John saw a post-resurrection picture of Jesus Christ. Because that's who, when he says, I am Alpha and Omega, that's why I read that verse. That's Jesus Christ. He's the one that gave the messages to the churches. It's very clear there. In fact, the other thing that you could say, and this is what's, for those that do not believe Jesus Christ and God the Father are the same. Uh, chapter There's another verse 8 in chapter 1 of Revelation. Don't go there right now. It literally says, God the Father says, I am Alpha and Omega. And when Jesus Christ says, I am Alpha and Omega, it's, remember, remember geometry? Remember back that far? Remember, that was a class I hated, by the way. But if A equals B and B equals C, then A has to equal C. That's exactly what that means. If God claims that he is Alpha and Omega and Jesus Christ claims he's Alpha and Omega, they are God. They are equal. That's a, key, that's a key component. But literally, did you see what we've just uncovered now in Revelation chapter twelve? Uh, chapter 1 is almost the exact same description. 
given to us from Daniel way earlier, which would tell us that this is a pre-incarnate or a Christophany prior to his, quote, birth. I want to use that carefully. That's not when Jesus was born. Jesus never was created. He never was born. He always was. But God came down. That word, I want, that, if there's anything that happens out of this today, I want this to be said. That literally heaven came down to earth. That, my friends, totally blows my mind. God is at a level that I can't comprehend in any way. And when Mary was told and Joseph that there would be a baby born and he was to be named Jesus, he is Emmanuel, God with us. God came down to our level. I can't grasp that. That's magnificent beyond belief. Just as Daniel is praying and literally God came down to him. Huh. I don't even have words. Let's keep going. How does he deal with this? How does Daniel deal with this picture of God? Not very well. <laughs> just the way you would be. Now, would you say on a scale, and I don't do this, but I just want to say on a saint scale, where would you place Daniel right now? Really high. Now, I, I didn't want you to do that, but I wanted you to do that because I, Daniel's a cool guy, right? He's a really cool Christian. And Christian's not the right word because Christ hadn't even, he didn't even know who Jesus was, which even makes his testimony even more remarkable. He had lived most of his life. Where? In a foreign land. Under foreign leadership. Without a God. At least the God. And you know what? He's laser focused. Laser focused. Go ahead and, uh, you know, if you don't bow down to the king for 30 days, you're going to go to a den of lions. So what? God's my God. It doesn't matter. None of that matters to me. Is that how we're living today in America? Daniel is our example, isn't it? I think that's why we're here. To, that's why we've been in this series is God is really trying to direct us. Be a Daniel. Stand in the gap. See, even if you get run over, it's okay. Get run over for Jesus. That should be, that's a bumper sticker. I just, that just came at me right now. Get run over for Jesus. I don't even know what it all means, but it sounds good. If I'm standing in the gap, right, and God's looking for those to stand in the gap, right? Get run over for Jesus. That could preach, actually. We better keep moving, though. Not this time. Let's keep moving. We'll make some T-shirts. Exactly. I got run over for Jesus. I like it. I like it. Is that going to catch on? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the Ruby Valley Run Over for Jesus Club. All right, let's keep moving. 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 Yeah, let's keep moving here. Uh, where in the world was I? Now, that one took me off. Um, where were we at? Okay, Daniel. Yeah, how did you respond to this, this picture of literally the incarnate Christ? Now, this isn't the first time. I mean, if you go through history, I, I didn't take time to state them all. But even way back in Genesis, literally God himself showed up with angels. And that, that's another key component. I do want to say that, that oftentimes the pre-incarnate Christ showed up just not by himself, but with other angels. Remember with Abram? 
He was going on his way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And they told Abram. And this, again, I, I have to love the soul and the spirit of Abram now, too. And I, this is not in my notes, but I think it's very, very important for us. Because we see the same thing in Daniel, that sense of compassion and unselfishness. Abram could have said, Sodom and Gomorrah, oh, that is one wicked, wicked place. I cannot believe you lasted this long. Waste that place. But you know what he said? And you know why he said it? Because his nephew Lot and his family had... (coughs) Now, they didn't move there right away. That's another thing that I think is so insidious, how the world sucks us in, right? He said it looked good that way, right? That's easy, isn't it? You kind of move a little bit. It actually looks pretty good further. A little bit more. And pretty soon, boop, you're right inside. He was comfortable. Actually, he was comfortable. And so, Abram, you know the story. Well, wait a minute. Uh, would, you, would you destroy this if there was... Where did he start? 50? 50. Yeah. Would you destroy if there was 50 good... Now, that's a wing in it, right? I mean, how many people live there? Not that we know for sure, but I would. it's a pretty husky place. I'm going to take a shot in a million. I don't know if I'm right. doesn't matter, but it's very, it's populated. And Abram just pulls this number of 50 out of the air and says, would you destroy it for 50? If there was 50 righteous? And God said, no. And now, now Abram said, wait a minute. If he's here to do business, it must be less than 50. <laughs> and you know what he does, right? He kind of, he kind of peels away and he finally, he's kind of, oh, forgive me, but one more time. And what was the last number he came up with was 10. 10. There wasn't 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's amazing. (laughs) And yet, what did God do? He spared Lot and attempted to spare his, his whole family, and that didn't even work out, right? Okay, anyway, there's many other places of which the pre-incarnate Christ show up. But my point is, and this, I think, this is where I'm at on this passage, okay? There's some that would say, when we, we've just looked at it, I think chapter 1 of Revelation and Daniel chapter 10, in those descriptions of we know in Revelation it's Jesus Christ, a post-resurrection picture. To me, it just, it's too similar for it not to be a Christophany, Okay. Now, where we get in trouble is, is as we are going to... Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. How did Daniel respond? I'm going to finish that question. I'm going to. Verse 7, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Now, that's an interesting situation. The group of men that were with him, (laughs) Daniel is seeing this. He's not saying anything. I don't see that he says anything. He alone sees it. These other men, they they can just feel it. They can just feel it. Now, I'll tell you on the other side of it, I've been places where I've just walked in and I could feel the evil. And I had to leave. I had to leave. Okay? Now, for these people, they could feel God. They could feel holiness. I'm going to say it that way. And it was too much for them and they went to hide themselves. In fact, again, if you go to Revelation, we're not going to go there. During the tribulation, as Jesus Christ is shown, they know who he is. They cry out to the rocks as they try to hide. Fall on us! Now that's the presence of sin in the presence of holiness. 
It would be the same for us. If you slipped into Daniel's sandals right now in this place, you would, I don't know what you would do either, but you would definitely just faint away because when we, even though we're saved, even though we're in Jesus Christ, when the presence of, we can't even, we do not know what sinless looks or feels like. I can't tell you. Adam and Eve would have been the only ones that knew what it was like to be sinless. And those two people, after they sinned, that must have been hell on earth to know what just happened to them. And no one since that time has ever been able to know what holiness, God's holiness. Because keep in mind, what did Adam and Eve do in the afternoons? (gasps) It's four o'clock. Whoa, it's time for us to have a walk with God. (laughs) And then when sin happened, what did they want to do? Just what sin does. Just what sin does to us. We talked about this several weeks ago. Two, I don't know how long ago it was. But where do, you, do you want to be in God's blessings? Do you want to receive God's... He's raining blessings. God rains blessings down. Where do you have to be? You have to be in the circle of obedience. The circle of obedience. You know what keeps you out of the circle of obedience? Sin. sin. So you know how you get into the circle of obedience? When you sin? Confession. Repentance and confession. That's all it takes. Why is it so hard for us to get in the circle of obedience? Pride. Pride. Sin keeps us out of the circle of obedience. It just does. And we would be much the same way. And if Daniel is melting away, fainting dead away, I think I wouldn't have a shot at <laughs> I would oh, and you would you would just humbly bow, and that's why God will be glorified. Those people that today Say there is no God. There will come a day, it says in Philippians. Every knee will bow. I just as soon bow now than later. <laughs> let's get it right. Okay, let's keep going. Oh, I'm having a lot of fun. Are you guys having fun? Let's keep going. Um, verse 9. Yet, okay, I, I want, I, there remained no strength in me. For, that's in the middle part of verse 8. For my comeliness was turned into me into corruption. Now, that word comeliness, you'll see it in a number of different places in the King James. It talks about the appearance, his appearance. In other words, if you would have looked at his face right now, it would have been ashen white. It would have been contorted. It would have been full of fear and panic. This is Daniel. That's what I want to get in your mind. That's how awe-striking God would be, even in a... <laughs> human pre-incarnate form there's something about that holiness and righteousness that is just over the top and if you took each one of those characteristics i'm not going to do it because just for time to move on but as each one of those descriptions of him has a has a purpose in the sense of attributes omniscience omnipotence judgment all of those things and here it is all pictured right in front of daniel and he just loses it okay let's keep going verse nine Oh, I'm sorry, missed the last part. And I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face and in my face toward the ground. That takes a lot of words to literally just say this. He just fainted dead away, and his noggin face forward hit the dirt. He is out like what? So what should we use? Okay, he's out. That's good enough. You guys can't think of anything either. Boink! Out. We don't even know for how long. Out cold. Out cold. We don't know for how long. Now, this is where I think we have a different 
person that changes in verse 10. This is not the same Christophany. Now, why do I say that? If you make this person now in verse 10 the same as what we saw in verses 5 through 9, which I believe very just mirrors Revelation chapter 1, which is described for us as Jesus Christ, and we've got a real problem then. Then you have to either make verses 5 through 9 somebody else, or you have to make verse 10 and on someone else. And I think there's actually several personages after verse 10. It seems really obvious. But what happens to the person that, let's look at verse 10, let's read it. Verse 10 says this, And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. Now, I'm going to just do this. I think I can get up again. But it, literally, he's, he's completely just face down, right on the ground. And this person touches him, and he gets him into the, the feet and the hands position. Okay, You guys in the back can't see this, but you know what I'm doing, right? Now watch me get up. It's not as easy. Okay. At any rate, he's there. He's, he's, he's touched him, and he gets him up into this kind of the four-post position, and he's still very weak. Okay? Let's keep going. Now, I believe this is someone different than what was in verse 5 through 9. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved. Oh, that is fantastic. O Daniel, a man greatly beloved. Where did, where, who said that before? Chapter 9. Who is that? That was Gabriel. Remember that? You are greatly loved, Daniel. In fact, this, 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 this uh, prophecy I'm going to give you, because you're greatly loved, this is the same message. Now, is this Gabriel? I don't know that. It doesn't have to be. What do, mes- what, do, what do angels do? They're messengers. They give messages. What is this one doing right here? He's giving a message. He said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, and understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now. Did you see that? That's why it's... Exactly. This is a different person than verses 5 through 9. I have just come right now. Now, why am I making such a big deal out of this? This person right now that's involved in Daniel's life that has literally touched him, He's now on all fours, and he's asked him to stand up and receive this. I've just shown up. Is the same one that will announce to us that he was fighting for 21 days to get there. My Jesus Christ doesn't have any problems finishing battles. It, it doesn't work. I mean, can you imagine Satan trying to take on Jesus Christ? I'm, talking, I'm not just talking the prince of Persia. I'm talking Satan. Not even a, it, it's a... It's over. In fact, you'll find it at the very end of the millennium. It's over before it starts. Even before the millennium, Jesus says to the angels, uh, just put him in that bottomless pit over there. There was no struggle. It was over. It was done. Keep that in mind. Satan is one powerful dude. Our God is exponentially beyond the wildest imagination, eternally more powerful than Satan could even think he was. That's our God. That's the Lord Jesus Christ that Daniel saw in verses 5 through 9. And now, that's gone. And these angels that probably, just as in Genesis chapter 18, there's one right there that's touched him and said, Daniel, stand up. I want you to get this. I've come for the reason I was sent. Let's keep going. Somebody's going to have to just wave me off. I can, we're just not going to get it, right? But let's keep going. Let's keep going. I love this stuff. 
Behold a hand. I'm sorry, verse 12. Then said he unto me, fear not. Okay, we did that. No, that's okay. Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thy heart to understand. Oh, isn't that good? Do you want to know what God's will is? God is listening. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, he hears you. Particularly, now if you need to get back in the circle of obedience, he's waiting to hear one thing. I sinned, I repent. In the blood of Jesus Christ, return me to the fellowship that you have given me. But he is listening when we are asking. Particularly, he wants to understand. Now, Daniel isn't trying to thwart or to, draw, to go a different direction. He just, Lord, I don't understand. I just don't understand what's going on. These people won't go. And now we've got all of this resistance. What's going to happen to us? That's what's driven him here. And on day one, right out of the box, boom, God says to this angel, he says, go to Daniel. <laughs> How long have you been praying for something? Aha, there's a long time. I can see a long time. What I want you to see is we've pulled this veil, which he's going to do now in just a second. When you pull that veil back, there is a spiritual warfare that is as real as we're sitting in this room right here. There is demonic attacks. There is demonic possession and influence. See, what we see sometimes is we see as people. That's why Paul, well, don't let me forget. Remember, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. I particularly want to get there because that's why, that's why Paul said what he said. When we see people, when people saw Judas Iscariot, particularly the betrayal, who was they really looking at? Devil. Satan himself. Demonic influence right now in America is at an all-time high. We have sold our soul to Satan as a nation. Do you not think he has the ability to use people that have opened themselves up to his leading? You had better believe it. How did Judas get there? It's the same. It's not a new game. Judas Iscariot got there by having literally Satan just, I mean, he just did whatever he wanted with him. How did he do it? Through the very, in fact, let's look at it. I'll show you the three ways. Let's go to 1 John. First, hold your place. We'll come back. I see another sermon coming up in this one. I was... 1 John chapter 2, let's look at this. 1 John chapter 2, and again, who, who wrote 1 John? The same guy that wrote 2 John. Who wrote the same guy that wrote 3 John? No, who is it? It's John the Apostle. What did Jesus say about John, the Apostle? He's my friend. You, and that's how John described the disciple that Jesus loved. Would that not be, would that not be great? I'd like to have on my tombstone. The one that Jesus loved. It doesn't get any better than that. And that's how fear is cast out. That's why literally, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, right now living in America today is a fearful thing. But if you've trusted Christ, you know you're loved. And if you're loved, there's nothing to fear because God is eternal and owns it all. If you're loved by him, there is nothing to fear. That was way too loud, but I, I, I don't even care, actually. First John chapter 2, let's look at verse 15. These are words from John, the apostle. 
Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Oh, that is strong, isn't it? Yeah. Really strong. But watch now verse 16. For all that is in the world, comma, this is, this is what's in the world. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, who's the prince of this world? Satan. Exactly. That's how he tries to own us. Through lusts, pride of life, pride and, 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 and covetousness and greed, all of those things, guess what it does? It just sucks God right out of us. That's how he does it. That's how he does it. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 10. Is that time right? Larry? Okay. It's, uh, it's right. <laughs> that's, that's unfortunate for you. Um, let's keep going. Not Laramie, but you guys here that are sitting here. Well, for Laramie too, now that I think about it. And anyway, let's keep, let's keep moving here. Um, what was I doing with that? Well, how did we get there? What did we do? Let's just go back to Daniel and we'll just work our way through it. Verse 12, chapter 10. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten, that would, would be to fast, to prepare thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. He is basically giving a forewarning. I mean, this, 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 what I'm going to give you from God is going to blow your mind. It's going to cover so much and be so extensive, you won't even be hard to believe. Verse 15, when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground and I became dumb. And behold, one like this, here's another, this is the next personage. Behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision, my sorrows are turned upon me and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this, my Lord, talk with this, my Lord? For as for me straightway, there remaineth no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. Here's this, here's this 85-year to 90-year-old man literally on the ground, and he can't even, he can't breathe. He has no strength to stand up. Oh, the overpowering of just everything that's taken place. Now, why was he, did you see that again? It's almost like it's a double, it's a bam, bam. Do you How many times do you think someone had come to Daniel before and said, Daniel, I tell you what, I'm your angel, I'm your messenger, I'm here to give you something, but I'll tell you what, I was fighting over there with the prince of Persia for 21 days. I came right away. I, God said, go, and I went, and then I was fighting for 21 days to get here. You think Daniel ever seen that before? I can't believe what's going on out in the invisible realms of the heavenlies. And then are you surprised with what's going on in our world today when we read something like that? You shouldn't be. This level right now, and see, the closer we get to the end, guess who's more aware of that than anyone? Satan. Particularly when you get in the tribulation. I, I, I will just tell you, I don't want to be here. In the tribulation. And anyone says, well, I'll just watch, you know, when that happens and I'll get saved. No, you won't. 
If you can't get saved now, God help you. And there will be people saved. I get that. But a good share of those probably will have never heard about Jesus Christ. They will have heard it now from those 144,000 anointed Jews that cannot be killed. I don't want to be in the tribulation. I can't even imagine it. Can't even imagine it. I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to make it. We're going to. We're going to. Um, I can't quite finish today. How's that? And that night, not quite, isn't even close to picking it up exactly. So let's let's do this though. There's two things that I. Let's go to Second uh, Corinthians first. Second Corinthians. The battles that we're facing even today are sometimes. You have to grab them at the lowest level, if you will, the most basic thing that we sometimes don't even pay attention to. But let's look at how Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to look at two passages of scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we'll start in verse 4. Verse 3 is what we're going to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. This is fantastic advice. Fantastic. Now, who are the Corinthians? What do you, what do you know about the Corinthians? They're really carnal. I mean, they're like a Christian that hasn't grown up. I mean, it's just like they're still, they're still, they're still in milk, right? It would be like a 35-year-old, and he goes and goes to the fridge and gets a bottle of milk. I'm not. I said not a glass of milk, a bottle of milk. Okay, they just haven't grown up. Why? Because they're not dealing with life like Daniel. How many does this happen elsewhere? Of course it does. Do you feed on the Word of God? And when you feed on the Word of God, you pray. See, those are things that give you nourishment and move you from milk to meat. Okay? So he's who he's talking to. He's talking to this Christian, and he's already written one letter, and there was a problem. There was a sin problem in the church, and now the second one, he's really wanting to bring it together. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Here we go. We're going to start in verse 3. He lays it out here. For though we walk in the flesh, in other words, that's true, yeah, men and women walking around, we do not war after the flesh. Bingo. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations. Verse 5. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You literally are doing warfare in your very own mind. And that's what Paul talked about in Romans chapter... That's, write that down for yourselves to go through. Romans chapter 7, maybe like verses 1 through 15. Read the whole chapter. It's better for you. And you know what? That's exactly what he's getting at here. You want to win the war? It starts right in your mind. And every single one of those thoughts are to be captive, to be captured unto the obedience of Christ. What did we say? How do you want to get blessed? You're in the circle of obedience. That's where I want to be because that's where God's blessings rain down. How do you get there? You confess your sin. Now, let's look at one other one. I want you to see how, how tuned in Paul was to what we're even talking about, what Daniel was talking about. Uh, let's go to Ephesians. Right, Paul? There we go. Right there. We're right, right there. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's dial in. To verse 10. Now, he's been talking about some really cool stuff Paul has to the church of Ephesus. In fact, if there's, there's, a, there's a theme that's been going through, particularly the first three chapters. He wants you to be in Christ, 
in him, in whom you'll find that in, to being part of that relationship. Okay? Now, he's ending, and he's, he's like a rubber meeting the road thing. He get, it's, like, it's like he gets the engine right. He gets the, the doctrine right. He gets everything in, built right. You know, you build from the inside out. And then he's like, okay, this is how it runs on the track now. Let's put some rubber on the road. And from chapter 3 of Ephesians to the end of the chapter, it's all about practicality of making doctrine real. Okay? So here we go. This is the end of the end. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, oh, they've been waiting for that. You've been waiting for me to say that. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. There's a verse we should capture. Now watch, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. Not half of it, not a quarter of it, not your armor, not some other armor. The whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now watch verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That is exactly what Daniel chapter 10 has unfolded for us. Not only was there the prince of Persia, there was the prince of Greece. I believe there's a prince of every single nation in this world. Satan is a meticulous organizer and is, he is out to thwart anything that has to do with God's plan. If we get together to want to do something for God's work, we can expect resistance. We can expect division. What's the thing that's the biggest problem in churches today? Division. 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 And what does Jesus Christ say about it? We're united in him. We're united in him. If we're in him, we are one. For they will know we are Christians by our love. You see all of those things? And he is the absolute example of that. Jesus Christ was the greatest example forever. For husbands, he laid down his life. And it's interesting that Paul used that as an example in Ephesians chapter 5. It's, he just goes right below the belt, doesn't he, almost? He's like, hey, husbands, hey, hey, this is, this is the deal. This, husbands, get this now. Listen, listen, listen carefully. Just as Christ gave his life for the church, you husbands need to give your life for your wife. Now that's commitment. But he didn't talk about it. He did it. Isn't that cool? Okay, you look burned out, tired out, and I am had, I'm actually, I'm done. Okay, we're done. We're done. Okay. we, we probably went down some branches a little bit further than we wanted, but I'll tell you what, I, I, in just being here with you today and how the Holy Spirit has directed us for this passage for where we are in America today, this is incredibly powerful, and we should hit our knees more than we're not. <laughs> Every passing moment, we should be focused on Jesus Christ. Lord God, Give me the spirit. Give me the strength to do everything I can to promote and to preach Jesus because he and he alone saves. That's what America needs. That's what America needs. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Daniel. Again, here's a man that is probably in his middle to upper 80s. 
And he's attacked life all the time. And I see the tirelessness in this man. He's continuing to want to see your will accomplished on earth. And here, two years after that decree was given, and the few went back, and they became discouraged under attack, under adversarial approaches. And here's Daniel, raising the cause to you. Literally seeing the gigantic approach, and I would just say the, the, the onset of a, 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 a amazing warfare. Can't even get the right words here, Father, but to even see that Satan was interested enough to take the prince of Persia, which would have been a very high-ranking demon, that would have reigned over that empire to literally thwart and to stop the messenger that you sent to Daniel on day one. Father, I'm not surprised at all that ultimately that message came. It ultimately even made Daniel's faith stronger. You gave him a message that literally has reverberated through the centuries, which we'll begin to look at next week in chapter 11 and even those in chapter 12, thinking of the power that was given. But because your man, your servant Daniel, was willing to stand in the gap, that was willing, literally, to do whatever he could at whatever cost to focus on you. May that be said of us as well, Father. Help us to get beyond the level we're at today in, in strengthen, encourage us. May we continue to just have this in our mind just as Daniel was strengthened. We didn't get to it today. He was literally strengthened when that angel told him, Daniel, you are loved. There is no reason to fear. There is no reason to be intimidated. There's no reason when we know that God loves us. You proved it by sending Jesus Christ, heaven coming down to earth. He paid a price he didn't owe. And then you proved it all that it was good enough when you raised him from the dead. He's in, etern he's in eternity in heaven on high, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Acting as our defense attorney, when Satan attacks and accuses the brethren, attacks and accuses us as Christians in trying to discourage and demote, to literally take away the very essence of what we are in you, Father. Jesus is saying, no, no, that was paid for. That's covered in my grace. They received my grace by faith. And that wasn't even their own. It was a gift that I gave to them. They are mine. They are not yours. They are mine. They are not yours. I love them to the end. Lo, I am with you always. Those are the words that Jesus departed with the disciples. And they're just as loud and clear today as they were then. That's the Jesus that we worship. That's the Jesus that Daniel saw. And he dropped into a dead faint. Father, you alone are superior. You alone are sovereign. You alone are omnipotent, omniscient. Awesome. Father, this week we will encounter things that we've never probably seen before, taking steps on a journey that we don't know about. We don't know two minutes ahead from now what will happen. But as long as we know you, as long as we relationally to you with Jesus Christ as being that reason 
that we are saved. We are safe. Nothing can be done to us, nothing at all, that can separate us from the love of God. It gives a great deal of assurance to us, Father. Thank you for making that clear. Thank you for your word describing what your desires are for us. We can't begin to thank you enough. But we're here humbly bowing before you today, wrapping our arms around you. There'll be a day when we'll be able to look into those eyes of a Savior. Looking at those nail-pierced hands that died for me. That day I look forward to, to touch my Savior, to be with Him for eternity. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name.